Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast episode number 105. And today I am interviewing chef farmer Matthew Rayford of Gilliard Farms. Uh, take a deep breath, uh, tune in, uh, and just get ready to travel down uh, to uh, the coast of Georgia and hear all of Matt's amazing wisdom. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm so excited today to bring you chef farmer Matthew Rayford. And Matthew and I have been connected for getting on 10 years now, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> And I am so excited to have him on the podcast. And instead of me telling you who he is, Matthew, why don't you tell us who you are? Um, my name is Matthew Rayford. I am a chef and farmer located in Brunswick, Georgia. Um, and that's the coast of Georgia. Uh, we're almost 29 miles away from the Florida, Florida state line. Um, and I am the sixth generation farmer here at Gilliard Farms. Uh, with my sister, uh, Althea Rayford, and uh, my partner, Javon Sage, who is our, she's our chicken whisperer and herbalist on the farm. So uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a small crew of us. Um, we have about 30 plus acres here, but we're farming probably closer to like three, if you count animals in there. That's amazing. So if you don't mind, can you tell us the story of those six generations? Because it's a stinking beautiful story. Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it starts off a little crazy. Jupiter Gilliard was born 1812 uh, as a slave up in the Carolinas. Um, and around the time of the end of the Civil War, 1874, he purchased 476 acres of land um, here in Brunswick, Georgia. Um, part of that purchase was that he would not uh, sell any of his goods to uh, the Confederates if uh, anything was to change. And also, <laughs> um, he only paid $9 in taxes for those 476 acres of land. Um, so if you put that into like perspective of where we are now, like $9 is like a Coca-Cola and a uh, like a large fry and maybe a burger of some sort, but it would not be 476 acres of land for sure. Um, so uh, from that, uh, Jupiter Gilliard, um, as we fast forward, he had a son named Lunan or London Gilliard, um, who then had a daughter named Florine um who is my great grandmother and then uh my nana ophelia killens uh, uh johnson is uh my nana and then there's my mom uh effie rayford uh actually effie holmes and then there's my sister and i and so in uh let me i digress in 1907 um my great grandmother florine decided that there needed to be a um, a school for uh, folks of color 
um, colored folks, as they were called back in those days. Um, and so we have the original schoolhouse on our property that was built in 1907. So from 1907 to 1955, within a 25 mile radius of where we are, um, anyone that went to school went to school there. Um, I think it's first through fifth, I think, or first through eighth, I can't remember, but it's it's like a it's also a mixture of that too because the as the time moved on they added a few more grades so that when and or if they went to what was called finishing school um which was up in riceboro georgia up at dorchester academy they would uh be able to go in with and, and jump right into high school so that's kind of like you didn't get a high school education here you only got up to like those those basic um, and actually not so basic, but uh, fundamentals um, built to the highest level of that they could be built at that particular time. I still have school books that are here from that time period um, all the way up until about the 40s and early, late 40s. Um, some of the school books go back that far. And, and actually some of the books actually go back to the 1800s. Um, I think I have a couple of cookbooks that are here that are from that time period because they also taught like home economics um, because we're on a farm. It was, you know, it, it was built around that farming agri and agriculture conversation also. And the other thing is I always say that we were the free lunch program and or the regional food system way before it was ever called such a thing because one of the reasons that my a uh, great grandmother wanted the uh, schoolhouse here was because she wanted to be able to feed the kids because they'd be coming from so far away and still have to go back home um, all within a day. So she wanted to make sure that there was uh, an abundance of food that they didn't have to be concerned with. So they ate at home or whatever, trekked here. And basically, the Brantley County line to here is 11 miles away. So, um, and I, you know, I have stories of like my great grandfather that used to walk into Brantley County um, to work uh, to work the pine harvest. Um, so he would cut down pine trees and do tar and all that other kind of good stuff. So, yeah, it's a it's a trek um, even for a grown man. Um, I've walked it j before just to, you know, down the highway just to kind of feel what it would, you know be like, like that thought process of like, what do you do? Um, and what you have to think about is that was a dirt road that wasn't a highway, you know? Um, and there, there are still a few paths that are still, at least up until I was like, maybe in my early to late teens that were still cut through the woods where you could like kind of walk through the woods a little bit from where people literally had been walking through the woods to get here. Um, there's still um, some folks in this area that uh, that are older that I talk to that talk about the paths sometime where that, that they were like, oh yeah, I remember I used to come to Mr. Johnny's right up the road. Yeah, we used to come out right there and then, then we'd be right at the schoolhouse, you know, like that. And so I think that there's also that thought process of what 11 miles looks like right now as compared to what 11 miles looked like in 1907. I feel like there's a writing metaphor in that somewhere. <laughs> the problem. <laughs> so, 
so that's so that's amazing so now then like bring us bring us up to the current day what are you guys like doing on the farm and what's working really well for you guys there on the farm right now oh. you know first that i never thought i would be back here um because I, I think i had this conversation with you one time before where i was like yeah when i when i left here at uh 18 years old i was like i ain't never ever 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 coming back to the south for any reason um and when i did it was mostly for uh death funerals and um someone that got married and i had to like you to do either one of those things because i just was not coming back home it just wasn't i didn't have any i had fond memories of family and friends and things like that but i didn't have like true fond memories of the deep south and so oftentimes i get people to go well all oh, that should have been over with by the time you know you you 53 you that, that i know that wasn't going i was like well let me tell you i can talk to you about some marches that i saw that were all white hooded you know i can talk to you about uh being thrown into the reading tub because um i already knew how to read write add and subtract by the time i got to the first grade because as you know i come from a educational background Styles family because we had the schoolhouse here. So all the kids in our family were taught as quickly as possible how to do all those things. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a Bible thumper by far, but we were actually taught how to read. My mom used the Bible to teach us how to read because when you read the Bible, you have to read for understanding. Mm -hmm. And so my mom wanted to make sure that we didn't just know how to read, but that we understood and would be and would question whatever it was that we were reading. So that's one of the reasons. And so I come to find out that there were a lot of people that that's how they learned how to read, that the Bible was one of those first things that they learned how to read because it, it forced you to have to understand things when you read them. You know, you'd question whatever it was, what do you, what do you mean uh, to and fro? What does that mean to and fro, right? And so when you learn that to and fro means back and forth, you go, oh, okay. So when you talk to old people and they seem like they're like rattling off Bible scriptures sometimes within their conversation, that's actually where it comes from. Um, and I kind of, I, and I've learned those kinds of things. But uh, back to your your original question, sorry, um, was uh, more like you know what am I doing on the farm and and what's happening? So I moved, I totally moved to the farm in 2011 um, because in 2010 my I feel like my grant my my nana and um and my aunt um ambushed my sister and i maybe i should say that out loud for a change ambushed my sister and i because they waited you know we came to a family reunion they were like baby what are we gonna do with all this land and for years i had been like y'all should go back to farming that's all y'all know how to do you know that kind of a thing but you know i'm looking across the table at my elders and i'm like i can't say that you know what i'm saying i was like well, Nana, maybe we should go back to farming. I don't even think I said maybe. I said, Nana, we should go back to farming. And she was like, farming? I said, yeah, Nana, I think that's what we should go back to doing. And literally, they reached underneath the table and gift deeded and pulled the deed from underneath the table and gift deeded my sister and I like, 50, I don't know, 15, 20 acres of land and was like, y'all should go back to farming then. And was like, wait what just happened you know <laughs> and my sister and i were driving back to washington dc along with uh, my wife at the time and it was the conversation was like what just happened and do we remember enough of that 
knowledge to like go back to farming. And what was really interesting was I ended up going to the Center for Agroecology and Sustainable Food Systems in Santa Cruz, California, which is an amazing program on 40 acres of land um, where they have been teaching that for, you know, 50 years now. And so what's so astonishing about like being around like-minded people when you're trying to learn how to do something is that sometimes you'll all of a sudden realize that there's a whole bunch of stuff you do know that is in a new context. So to fast forward to me coming home, I came home and uh, I'm, I'm doing all these things on the farm. Da, da, da. You know, my Nana comes outside and like, baby, what you doing? So I'm walking through what I'm doing. And she was like, what word did you say that was? And so I'm telling her, she was like, oh, you making shit tea. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, you know, we, you know, we did, that's, that's the same thing we used to do. And I'm trying to explain to her the, you know, the biology of uh, compost tea and the reason that it does all the things. And she was like, maybe that was just a honey truck. That was what we called the honey truck back in the day. They put all them cow patties in that water and they let the heat heat it up and then they take it and spread it out on the field. And I'm sitting there like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, you remember your granddaddy used to do. And so now I'm starting to like, like going through my head, like, so I went to school when I could have just came and sat at your feet, you know, kind of a thing, you know, because it's amazing what our elders know, you know, and, and what knowledge that we uh, almost take for granted, you know, like, and so I literally was then, my Nana then goes and finds letters written between her and my great grandmother Florine that is basically our almanac on how we plant and do things here now. So it literally is like March or April, whatever, 1940, whatever. And it says, um, uh, Papa's heading to the market today with collard greens, this, 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 and this. Um, and then other times, some of the other letters read, um, your, your Papa's out there playing this, 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 and this. And so it's literally like the month when it was harvested the month when it was planted like i can't i can't ask for a better almanac than that you know and um so we have been using that to plant peas and to plant melon and to plant corn um and all of those things and uh you know we, we're planting carrots and radishes based on some of the things that were done before uh, with other root vegetables. We have sweet potatoes that we've had in the ground and I'm hoping this year we'll hit the 500,000 pound area on sweet potatoes. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, uh, you know, this is, this is my first like real, like not planting in just a field, but literally I took all the ideas of things that I remember seeing on the farm when I was a kid, like, old tires that are stacked up together with the sweet potatoes planted in them. And then as the vines go over top of the first tire, you put a second tire over it and then you fill it up with soil again. And so we like, those are things that I saw when I was a kid, you know? And so coming to find out that the rubber also keeps that area warm um, and all like, like all these different things that, that were done when I was a kid, 
are like cutting edge shit now. You know what I'm saying? It's like people are like, oh yeah, you know, you could do this in a barrel and you know, you do it and then you just kick the barrel over and you got all these, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's what they were doing 50, 60 years ago. Like that's not new, you know? And so it's that, um, so we're doing that. Uh, that's my sweet potato story. We're also, uh, we also are doing uh, Black Soldier Flies and um, European Wigglers and European Crawlers and Red Wigglers as part of our composting system that we have in place now. Um, so I've been working on that probably um, like steadily um, this go around for a straight year trying to like get those ecosystems working the way I want them to work um, and, and building that up. And then, uh, and I use, I also use fish in our composting. So uh, fish scraps in our composting because we're a coastal, uh, coastal town. So getting those for free, you know, like one of the things that they talk about um, is trying to get, get as many of your inputs for free so that on the back end you've made money, not like I put all this money into this. So we recycle, redo, like I get cardboard from places like Dollar General to like put it in the bottom of everything, you know. So I use a lot of those kind of recycling things to do that. And then that has allowed us now to move away from what would be considered like traditional diversified crops. So now we're doing things like growing hibiscus for a gin that is uh, produced by Simple Man Distillery. We've created, we've also used that exact same biscuit, uh, biscuit, I must be hungry, um, hibiscus. Uh, we've also used for actually three things we've also used uh, sold it to Service Brewing, which is up in Savannah, Georgia, and they've made a red, white, and blue beer um, with it. Um, Javon also uses it in uh, a lot of her teas that she makes from here also. Um, we also grow mint and ashwagandha, and uh, we actually have ginger, turmeric, and ginseng planted uh, also. Um, and those are all things that like like in, in, in our heads where most people think about planting a crop and trying to get the money as quickly as possible. And our thing is we've learned that longevity does not last on instantaneous profit. And so one of the things, like it's gonna take another, like we planted a ginseng maybe a year ago, it's gonna take us another maybe two years to get enough of that going and growing for us to even think about trying to sell it or think about, harvesting enough of it to process. Um, and we're kind of doing some of the same stuff with ginger too. We're giving it like two years and the turmeric is, is we're gonna pull that up um, probably in the next month or so. Um, but we're probably only gonna get maybe a pound or two of the turmeric. I really planned it for seed for the next year, which is one of the other things is that, one of the things that I've learned about farming is that I have to be planning two, three years ahead and not just crop planning for the following year. And the reason being is because there are things out there that I want to grow. I'm not saying that that's for everybody, that I want to grow. There are things that can, once it's established, it becomes a longer, a longer game. And so one of the things I realized as a sixth generation farmer is that one of the reasons we've been able to keep this land for so long is that everyone was not looking for today. They were always looking for tomorrow and like years ahead. 
So they were planning things and planting things according to those kinds of processes. Um, and so I'm learning that. I think that, oh my God, that's like, we could have five different podcasts on the things that you just uh, said. Not the least of which is the, the black soldier flies because we get a ton of questions about black soldier flies and how to incorporate that and, 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 what, and, and like what to do and how to complete the cycle of your black soldier fly composting. So I think that's super interesting. But I wanted to pull out, um, a couple of things that you said about longevity, yeah, right? Because there are there's so many people who who are going into farming now that just frankly just there is no longevity. Their parents were accountants. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? And they are they are moving back into the land. And there are a couple of things that that stuck out to me is that one of the things that you really allow yourself to do is plan for the future from the past. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you see the, the past as things worth doing and knowledge worth moving forward and you're benefiting, I'm not gonna lie, from really good record keeping. Like I harp on record keeping with people. <laughs> and, and you know what's funny? I'm, I'm, I'm learning to actually, like my, my personal record keeping sucks, but I'm learning really that the record keeping doesn't need you know people like you know excel spreadsheets and all this other stuff right but i have i i am now going through all the pieces of paper and stuff that i've written on for the last few years and i'm looking through stuff going oh man why did i start oh that's right this didn't work so i kind of like went to go do something else or i'll find a piece of paper and I'm like how come I'm not doing this anymore? Oh, because I learned from this that I need to do this, 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 and this. And so I'm starting to learn that if you just have any kind of notebook, just any kind, doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be some fancy notebook that you bought from some highfalutin place that has every marker and tab and things in it. Just a regular old cheap notebook, right? Um, it'd be great, and because we're both prior military, you know, if you can find one that is one of those weathery uh, kind that can handle you being outside writing uh, in like the rain or the dirt or whatever, but you know, that's an Amazon purchase, super easy, whatever. But all you need is just to have some kind of uh, scribe, some type of writing utensil um, and several of them. So if it's a pencil, you need to not worry about a sharpener. You need to have a couple of pencils. If it's a pen, you need to have a couple of pens because at some point, one of them are going to go out. But when you're out at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day and at the middle part of the day, you make a small annotation of anything that you've done. And it doesn't have to be anything perfect. Like we, as humans, we're, we're, you know, that that whole striving for perfection and trying to make it all happen, it will overwhelm you as a farmer because farming is lifelong learning. So everything you think you got dialed in right now, this year, next year may not even come close to working, even if you don't miss a beat or miss a step. And so with it being lifelong learning, having those notes where you're saying, okay, September 20th, whatever, 2020, I went out, my European uh, crawlers look like this, blah, 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 blah. This is what was happening. That's it. 
nothing long, right? So that way, when September 20th, 2021 comes around, you go back to that date. That, you notice I've mentioned you date it first, right? And the reason that you date it is so that you can have an actual kind of like a rolling log. And guess what? You might not even look at those European uh, crawlers again for another five or six days. Don't worry about that. Just make sure you date it so that when you're flipping through, you're looking for some kind of like heading and dates. You know, if you remember the temperature outside, write that down also. That's also part of your almanac. And especially with the weather patterns that are happening right now, all the things that are changing right now. Um, matter of fact, before we got on our podcast, one of the things I said to you was, hey, it's like 68 degrees this morning here. I've been home for 10 years. It has never been in the 60s of any shape, form, or fashion in the month of September. That's like a November thing, right? So I'm already 90 days into like, well, shoot, what are my crops getting ready to look like? Because of the temperature's already dropping down like that, when is it going to get into the frost freeze kind of area? When is it going to do? So this, those are all weather patterns, all real things. Also, now I have to check on my chickens a little bit differently because guess what? That means time is getting ready to change. Normally, it's still really warm up till December. We usually get still in the 70s in December. And so if we're already dropping down into the 60s this early, that means we might get some kind of like, 40s and 50s maybe by December, which is not a normal around here, you know. So I, I think that those are like all those things. And I'm, I'm just saying that for to whoever's listening is that the world is changing so drastically right now um, in all kinds of shapes and, and sizes. Everything from, you know, this is the year of being uh, stuck where in place, you know. This is the year of like all the, I mean, think about it. If anybody's been watching weather in general we have went from a through z and are now in the greek alphabet for tropical storms and hurricanes like that hasn't happened in 20 30 years i think so like paying attention to those things and knowing that and then the force of these uh weather patterns like all of this stuff is like really 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 getting people or should be getting people to understand that having their own personal almanac and having their own personal guidance on uh, on what's happening from year to year is going to be super important because guess what's not going to happen next year? Next year, they're going to briefly talk about the hurricanes and the weather pattern that happened this year, and then they're going to be talking about what was going on. So that's going to be, you know, last year's news. You know, it's going to be, you know, whatever. But if you have it written down somewhere, you'll be able to kind of like go back to it. And I think Part of me saying this so much also is because I have my own personal uh, thought processes on just like what happens when we don't do these kinds of things, we end up trying to reinvent the wheel. And then we put a lot of money and a lot of time into reinventing the wheel that is A, asinine, but even more so, it slows down productivity because your learning curve changes as you start to try to reinvent the wheel, right? Because you start adding all this other stuff in and da, 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 da. instead of taking what, what structure is already in place and saying, okay, these are the things we need to do based on what else is happening. Not breaking all the spokes out and going, oh, okay, so I, I need to put a spoke at six o'clock and 
you know, I think I want one at seven this time because the wheel didn't, no, you broke it. So you starting from scratch. You don't know nothing, you know? So I think those are super, super things that we need to like be on top of. And th that's actually why I started the podcast with Heritage Radio Network called Jupiter's Almanac was to give these stories of things that happen and where we are now and how we need to kind of like start recording it. And I, I'm, I'm uh, humbled and also honored to be on your podcast because um, I know that you've archived things and that things can be played back if people want to. So I think that that's also part of that almanac, that archiving process. I think that's super, I think that's super interesting because what you just did is, is that you went through like the cycle that I take clients through, you know, keep your records, pay attention and ask yourself the three fundamental questions. What's working? What didn't work? And what are we going to do differently next time? Absolutely. You know, and, and having the presence of mind to be able to do all of those things, it won't answer every question in farming entrepreneurship, but damn, it'll get you really close to where you know what the next set of steps is. And I think that is, I think that's so important for people because there seems for so many of, so many of the clients, we look at them and they see, I see what they see, which they're, which is like all of this chaos, but you're, I mean, but the process that you just outlined, which is very simple, anybody can do it with a notebook and a pen, uh, is asking yourself, okay, just reflecting. And Andrew and I do this every day. I mean, we recorded a whole podcast about it a couple of weeks ago. What worked, what didn't work, and what are we going to do differently so that we can, if we don't like the results that we have right now, we'll get a different result if we do something differently. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And you know, that's also about, uh, uh, Brenda Bouchard talks about being a high performer. And I know that he talks a lot about like journaling and writing down all these different things every day. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've learned from like realizing like where people think people actually are as in like their, uh, what their work is like as compared to where they really are. And I realized like the more I talk to other farmers and have conversations with other farmers, they are super high performers. They are, constantly uh, constantly trying to like exceed whatever was done before and then trying to take the uh take whatever they didn't work like what you said and what did work and then figure out what they're going to do better like that's a constant like that's like a but oftentimes then when we shift to because farming is a business also with and i want every anybody that's listening that's doing any type of uh anything that has to do with plants or animals or whatever it's a business and you have to follow things you have to follow some business sense also within doing it and so yes you are a high performer you're out there doing all your stuff in the field and growing these amazing animals and all that other kind of good stuff but you have to hone in on whatever the business sense that you know that you are lacking so that you can move forward to get the business sense that you won't be lacking. Because I can also tell you from my own personal experience that things that I thought I knew soon as I real by the time I realized that I didn't know, 
it was a little too late on a couple occasions. And so that is also one of the reasons why I believe people need coaches. I believe people need mentors. I think the, I think there's also like where we are right now, right? So back in the day, um, just 20 years ago, it was all mentoring, right? You need to find a mentor. Now, in the time period we live, live in, we need to find a coach. We need to find somebody that is not just going to kind of like be the like holy grail of whatever it is you're trying to do, but they don't need to be that anymore because we have access to way more than what we've ever been had access, more than we've ever had access to. So I think now we need someone to coach us so that we aren't just accessing ish to be accessing stuff, but we're actually accessing things to kind of be the point of the spear, you know, that we're pushing through all the minutia of what happens during the day. And I think that that's what coaching is about right now. It's about pushing through um, whatever it is. And once you learn how to do that with people, you can coach people through, in, through, through anything. Whereas in mentoring is very, very, usually very, very specific um uh and very niche i believe that man that's just my personal opinion i'm you know just throwing it out there but i will say that um i have benefited from some really good coaching um and it's not all been all at one time it's been through various people it's been through someone saying oh you know you should read this you know to help me get myself you know into where i am right now and i'm saying all that to say that if you're listening to this podcast, that means that you're really about trying to figure out how to run your business and that you're also trying to figure out what the next uh, steps are. Um, and I will say, be, because I've also, I'm not just a friend with Doc P, I'm also one of her, one of the people that she also coaches, um, is that um, the things oftentimes sound crazy to Doc P says to you because you haven't done it. And I will say that because she's told me many of things that I was just like, she's, this is crazy. Like, there's no way. And then when I do it, I'm sitting back going, oh, well, it's because she's coaching me through and, and she's actually listening to all the things I'm saying to then be able to coach me through what I'm saying to her. So what is crazy is the fact that I've, put it out there to the world and now it's regurgitated back to me in the format of this is what you're going to this is what you need to do to actually do it and i think that that's oftentimes where people get the coaching factor twisted a little bit because they hear their idea thrown back to them in the steps that they need to make it happen and not just my idea is great you know and so like I said, if you're listening to this podcast, it means that you want to become uh, a rock star when it comes to anything that has to do with food and regionalization of food and all of that kind of good stuff. And I will say unequivocally, you are in the right place to learn that stuff um, because I have been able to take a lot of the processes and the processes that Doc P has been able to give me um, and just in some of our small conversations and have been able to redirect my energies on the farm, um, especially this year within the pandemic that I would not have been able to do um, if I didn't have someone that was listening to where I was falling apart at in my processes and what needed to like, mm, and, and it was never told to me in a well, you know you're gonna fail because this is what you did it was more like okay i want you to think about this and then as soon as i thought about it i was like oh 
it also came back to writing like just the and not writing as in like an essay but like writing down a little note like okay this wasn't working this is what doc p said this is where i'm trying to go da, 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 da. and i've always ended up into a finite place of okay boom that's what i should be doing and so that's why i just want anybody that's listening just to kind of like get that and it's it's uh uh, it's my plug for, you know, A, being on here, which, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm honored and humbled to be on here, but also my plug for actually being one of the people that you coach and having been able to apply what you taught me in coaching also into writing my own book. Like, I've been able to apply the food stuff that you told me to, like, writing my own book. And now I actually have the process for writing, my own, for writing a book I now have because I followed some other processes that you gave me for doing things here at the farm. So that's why I'm saying like wherever people's lives are, like mentoring is great, but I think people need to be coached. They need to be listened to and, and then directed so they can hone whatever skills they're trying to hone to become better at what they're trying to do. And I think that, I mean, you know, thank you for that plug. Cause that means, that means a lot, but you know, I do want to point out that you're the one that did the work and <laughs> work. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I digress. Yes. So if you get involved, <laughs> you have to work. She's just walking you through. For sure. Right. And so I think, I think it's important. I think it's important to note that like you wrote a book like and got revisions back in like a week. Which was, that, that was, that was, you know, I have a lot of people who are like, oh, Dr. P, I want to write a book. And then, you know, then you got to sit down and write it. So, all right. So, so we've talked about your podcast. We've talked um, a little bit about your book. So as we wrap up, tell people how they can find you, how they can connect with you. Because every time I do anything public with you, they're like, oh my God, who is the farmer Rayford? And I need to, I need to talk to him. So how do people get in touch with you? So you get in touch with me by uh, reaching out to www.gilliard-farms.com. Or you can reach me at Shafarmer Rayford, uh, excuse me, Shafarmer Matthew. And that's C-H-E-F. A-R-M-E-R, -E Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, at gmail.com. Perfect. So that's amazing. And you're also on the proofing box, so they can ping you over there. So join yeah. the proofing box, people. That's where you get it. That's where all the good stuff comes in. Yeah, all all right. Well, thank you so, so much. And oh, and the cat's going to come join us for the end of the podcast. So, <laughs> food safety cat says, thanks for being on the podcast. Matthew, we love you. And I'm sure we will talk soon. Most certainly will. You take care. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.